0: Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Planet It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? who doesn't play it safe. In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Paul, I'm super excited to chat with you, and thank you for being in the podcast, Playing It Safe.
1: Thank you very much for having me on the show today.
0: Paul, the focus of the podcast is on playing it safe actions. Playing it safe actions are all the stuff that we do when feeling scared, anxious, worried, or when having obsessions. Sometimes we approach situations with openness and curiosity, Other times, we run away from them as fast as possible. And other times, we may approach a situation with safety crutches. But before we jump into talking about how you handle fears that come your way, I would love to hear the story behind your book, Company of One. In your book, you argue against the idea that more is better. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's interesting because I thought that I was the only one who kind of felt that way about my business. I've run my business for 20 years, kind of in the methodology I lay out in the book. And I wrote an email about it to my mailing list saying, this is just me explaining why I don't care about growth. I thought it was just going to be an explainer to my audience to be, okay, this is how Paul operates. But I got so many replies from people saying, I run my business the same way, or I thought I was the only one who felt like this about business. That made me realize that there's more people out there that want better instead of just more. And so I pitched that to my agent and she thought the idea was good. And then we sold it to a publisher who also felt that this kind of counterintuitive argument could do well in the market. The book talks about how growth isn't necessarily bad, It's just that it needs to be questioned. So growth in the beginning, when you have no customers, no revenue, obviously is a good idea. You need to get some revenue, you need to get some profit, you need to get some customers. But if we don't question it and see, okay, does this make sense for the type of business I want to run? Or does this make sense for how I want to spend my day? If I was managing 500 people, my day would look very different than if it was just me sitting in my home office, which I'm doing right now, <laughs> doing work as just a, a, a very small company, right? So that's really what the book is about. It's, it's not meant to be you are one person running a business. It's meant to be what's the smallest size possible that makes sense for your business while keeping it enjoyable for the customers who are supporting it.
0: I appreciate that you just clarify what you meant with a title, Company of One, what the book is about, uh, especially because I'm sure that there are people that just take it literally that your company is just you and you.
1: All the time, people like to joke because one of my businesses, I run with a co-founder, Jack, and they're always like, "Oh, I thought you had a company of one and you're a two-person company. <laughs> So I get that joke on Twitter probably two or three times a week, but I don't mind. If people are thinking about me and they're thinking about my book, then I'm happy.
0: (laughs) I'm curious if you have any concerns about how people may perceive you or may have judged you because of the book.
1: I think a lot of the growth that we seek, especially in business is, is very ego driven. And I think that Ego, obviously, I'm talking to the right person. Ego can be good or bad. So when we start a company, we have the ego to say, whatever exists in the market, I could do better because I'm starting a business and I want to serve customers in this market. So my ego says that I can do a better job. So I start a business Mm -hmm. and that's good. I I think that's great. I think a, a lot of people should be entrepreneurs if they feel that they can do a good job and serve an audience really well. But I think where ego leads us astray is when we start to think about, okay, what is the perception of my business to my peers, to my audience, and that sort of thing, where if I tell somebody, say I'm at a dinner party, and I tell somebody, oh, I run a business, and they're like, what is the business? How big is it? And if I say, well, I run the business out of my house from a spare bedroom, that may not sound as good as, oh, I have 1,200 employees and 13 offices across four countries, That might sound really good, but in that scenario, if that's what we're chasing, then we're really building our business to look good for other people. And I don't wanna be in that position. I wanna be in a position where I like the business that I run and I like working on the business that I run. So if it's a small business, if it's a remote business, then that's fine. It looks good for me. I don't care if it looks good for others. I wouldn't want to be at a dinner party where I'm judged by how large my company is. I'd rather talk about sports or something fun.
0: (laughs) Totally get it. I love that you are very clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it in the way you're doing it. Let me switch gears a little bit. Because the podcast focuses in how we handle fear, I am curious how, as a business owner, as a creative person, how it has been for you to handle fear-based reactions?
1: For sure. I think that there's a misconception that people who take action or do things don't have fear. And I think it's, you can have fear and take action anyways. So I can be afraid of a decision and I can act on it anyways. So in the past, I've had a lot of times I didn't start a product business for several years. I actually didn't write my first, that's a good example. My my first book was a, a cookbook. And I kept putting off writing a cookbook because I felt, well, I'm not an author. I'm not a professional chef. And I realized one day that this was kind of a silly idea because the only way to be an author is to write a book. So if I write a book, then I can be an author. So that fear that was holding me back wasn't really valid. But it still, it held me back for a couple of years to do it because I felt, well, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. So why should I write a book? And then I realized it was the opposite. If you write a book, you're an author. So why not just do that? Right. And I guess for me now in my life, I'm more afraid of not making a decision than making the wrong decision because I know I'm going to make wrong decisions. I know I'm going to make wrong decisions all the time. And I know that if I make a wrong decision, as long as it's not too big of a decision Mm -hmm. and I can change my mind or I can fix it after So I never want to make a decision that's so big that it'll ruin everything indefinitely. But if I keep making small decisions, even if they're wrong, I can fix them or go back or change my mind or do something about it. Whereas if I don't make any decisions, then I'm stuck in the exact same place and I want things to change, but I'm not doing anything to change them.
0: That's a beautiful differentiation. I can see that you are more invested in making small decisions and knowing that you can adjust, modify, and adjust again as much as needed. Now, with a cooking book, how did you go from postponing it to making it happen?
1: Yeah, so I think the way that I was approaching it was I, I was considering it as a single task. Mm-hmm. So I can't think I want to write a book and then write, write a book on my to-do list that's too overwhelming. I'm not going to start. If I look at that, I'm not going to start because that's one task. Whereas, yeah, it's too big. Whereas writing a book is hundreds or thousands of little tasks. Mm -hmm. So I changed the way that I approached the things that I wanted to do in my day to just be things that I can do in my day. So I can't put write a book on my to-do list because I can't do that in a day. That's going to take months and months and months of work. What I can do is put, write an outline for chapter one on my to-do list. And I know that if I sit down, I spend two or three hours on that, I can accomplish that. I can check that off my to-do list or I can cross it out if it's a paper to-do list. And then I feel good. I feel like I have just made some progress here. There's momentum that's building. Now the next day I can put something else on my to-do list that will only take me one like sit down session and then I can keep going and then I can build momentum and then I can look back and say, okay, I've spent three weeks where I've crossed something on my to-do list every day for my book. Now I want to keep going. I want to continue doing this. So the way that I started to think about it differently was that I can't put more than I can chew on my plate uh, at any given time. Otherwise I'm not going to do it. I'm going to feel overwhelmed. If I feel overwhelmed, I stop working.
0: Yeah. I totally relate what you are saying. I think approaching large projects into small tasks and watching what we are doing and how much we are committed to do makes things so much more manageable. Now, sometimes even though we're moving forward with projects and tasks that we care about that matter to us, our mind may come up with thoughts about us being imposters or being a fraud. If you have those thoughts, how do you handle them?
1: Yeah, I mean, still, I feel like I get times where I feel like, "Well, you're a fraud. Why are you writing this? Like, you're not the right person to do this work. Why do you, Why do you assume that you're good enough to write this book or launch this program or or do whatever?" And I find that the for for myself at least, the only cure for that is to do it anyways and to focus on the process. So I don't when I'm writing a book, I don't think about I try, Or I try not to, obviously it's impossible um, sometimes, but I try not to think about the end result or the outcome. I focus on the process because the process is something I can control. The process is something I can make progress on. So I don't think when I'm writing a book that, oh, I want to write a book because I want to be a New York Times bestselling author. If I started to think that way, I wouldn't be able to write a book. It just I would feel like there's too much imposter syndrome happening but I know that if, if I reposition it in, in my thinking of, okay, well, if I'm doing this, my, my, the outcome of this is a finished chapter. I don't care if it's good, especially for writing specifically. It's impossible to write well on the first draft. The first draft should be awful. That's just the way that it goes. You write it, you get it done, and then you make it good after the fact. So I think in, in focusing on the process instead of the outcome, that helps me get over that imposter syndrome because I'm not writing the book for it to sell well. I'm Mm -hmm. writing the book because I want to finish the section I'm on. Mm -hmm. And that to me is something that I feel like is controllable where if I'm focused on getting a chapter done, if I get the chapter, I know that if I keep writing, I'll get the chapter done. Whether it's good or not is besides the point. Whether the book will sell later is besides the point. All of these other things are besides the point. And yes, they creep in in my mind. Nobody's perfect in the way that they think. But if I still focus on the the process and not the outcome, I feel like it, it becomes more manageable.
0: Paul, I love it. Here's a question. As you focus on the process... How do you know that that particular task or that particular project or that particular chapter is good enough and you're ready to move on to the next one?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to that. I think one of them is, do I know enough about this thing to talk about it? Do I have an opinion enough on this thing to to draw a line in the sand? The other thing, though, that I really consider because I have a, a sizable audience is, is there potential for this to do harm? And if there is, I don't want to do it. Like, it's just plain and simple. There are certain topics that I would love to write about, but the potential for them to do harm to other people is too high. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to go there. It's like, it's why I don't write a ton or specifically about investing. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't
1: want to give somebody a wrong idea and have them make an investment that then fails them because nobody knows the market. I understand. So for things like that, I don't want anything that I ever do to potentially do harm to somebody else. So I'd rather not write about or not talk about it with my audience than do it with, with that in mind. So one of the, so the, the biggest thing there for me is that, but as far as the good enough, I don't like for me, if, If I get something down and I'm happy with it and I run it by like my copy editor and my editor, or or I run it by my co founder, or I run it by people in my mastermind group or friends that do similar work, like Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I guess, I don't try to judge good enough for myself with my work because I'm too close to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could have my ego could be going crazy and I think this is the best thing ever. And I need to push it up against somebody else uh, to, to see, if, to see if there's truth in that. So when I'm writing a book, I have a bunch of people read it. I have a bunch of people who are way smarter than me read it. When I'm writing software, working on a feature for a product, I run it by beta testers. So I, I don't want to assume truth in is this good enough or not, just for myself or the work that I do. I want to test it with other people first to see, they'll tell me if it's good. or not. I have a lot of friends and a lot of people in my life who aren't going to bullshit me on if they think something is good or if they think something is bad. And I think a lot of times for people like myself who work for themselves, I think that we feel like we have to be lone wolves and we feel that because we work for ourselves, we have to work by ourselves. And I think that can be very harmful where we don't have to take everything on ourselves, where I have a group of people that I can, I can test things with, I can talk about things with, and they do the same for me. And the end result is something that ends up being better than it would be if it was just me making all those decisions and all of those assumptions.
0: Gosh, there is so much to say about your response. Um, I know I have witnessed firsthand the community you have created and how people are so engaged and connect with each other. It's just amazing. So maybe one question that I have for you is, what would your advice be for someone that wants to do something at the smallest scale and is afraid about being alone or doing things lonely?
1: Make time for it. Prioritize that as something that matters to your business because it absolutely does. So I could say, well, I don't have time this week to talk to like my mastermind group or a group of friends and I could put it off. But I know that that helps me, right? So I make time in my week to have these conversations, to seek out others who are in similar places and connect with them, right? So we don't make time for the things we don't prioritize. So prioritizing having a group of people that you can bounce ideas off of, I think, is one of the most important parts of running a business.
0: Speaking about creating community, one of the ways that you created community was through your newsletter, I have a chance to read the first newsletter you sent maybe around 2012, and I would love to read it because it's relevant to fears. Yeah? Here is one paragraph. I talk endlessly about pushing fear, but I don't always do that. My wife always wanted to go on a roller coaster with me, but I am afraid of heights and refuse to. She asked me once, if her dying dish was to ride one, will I do? I told her we will find something else to do on her last day. She wasn't impressed. So, Paul, here is my first question. How are we doing with roller coasters?
1: We don't have to travel right now, so I'm I'm pleased about that. I still haven't gone on a roller coaster. I I don't know if I'm going to. I think that that's important, though. Like, there's things, like, I don't do speaking engagements. It's not something, I've done that. I'm not, I used to be a, a touring musician, so I'm used to being on stage. It's just not something I like doing, and it's not something I enjoy so I just I just blanket I don't do speaking engagements and just like um, roller coasters or heights it's not something that I like I've actually been on roller coasters before when I was a kid didn't like them mm-hmm. I don't, why would I do that if I don't if I don't like it I mean I, I probably will just so my wife can leave me alone about going on a roller coaster with her at some point but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I appreciate that distinction you're making because there are so many messages out there about pushing through our fears, but there is a huge difference when we are facing our fears because they are situations that really matter to us versus approaching our fears just because. Just for curiosity, how do you decide when to approach your fears
1: yeah. I mean, I think for me, it it comes down to like, is this something that I want to get better at? Is this something that I'm avoiding just because I'm scared or is it something I'm avoiding because I don't actually really want to do it? And so I'd rather examine things like that and not just blanket say no to things first. But if I do come to the conclusion that this is just like speaking engagements, I'm so glad that I don't, that nobody's asking right now because nobody's traveling I just—it's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I want to get better at. It's not something that I want to figure out about myself. I know the way. It's just like I've not had—I've never had a Facebook account. I don't care about Facebook. I'm not going to join Facebook because somebody's like, "Oh, you should be on Facebook. You're missing out." I'm like, cool. I don't care. Like, it doesn't—it doesn't serve my. It, My business hasn't suffered by not being on Facebook. I haven't suffered personally. I still have great and genuine relationships with other human beings by not being there. So I just think that if we think about the reasons why we don't want to do something, if they're valid, then that's fine. I'm not going to watch the movie Earthlings, which... uh, like that to me I, I love animals as well I've been vegan for a very long time I'm not going to I'm not going to expose myself to something like that I feel like it's preaching to the choir I'm not interested in factory farming personally so I'm not going to watch horrible horrible slaughter for a couple hours it just that would that would wreck me uh, mentally for a very long time I don't want to expose myself to something like that so I think it's good to have those kind of boundaries to protect ourselves
0: Yeah, I think it's very helpful to take a look why we are doing what we are doing. What are our drivers? I know that for me, when learning about acceptance and commitment therapy, like 15, 17 years ago, one of the biggest things has been learning to ask myself, what's my value behind this behavior? What's my value behind this action? If I do X, does it help me to be the person I want to be? for you, how did you reach that place? When you ask yourself if there is any growth before doing something, when you check what you're avoiding, and learning to discriminate when you approach something that can be a scary, and when you let it go?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think a lot of it just comes down to um, a lot of the things that you were saying, like, is this something I value? Is this something that could be an opportunity for growth? For me, is this something that I'm actually interested in? Um, yeah, because I don't like. I don't want to do. I don't want to not. I, I don't want to not do something simply because I'm afraid. I need to figure out why I'm afraid, and if that fear is valid, mm-hmm. then that makes sense. It's just like I don't want to stick my hand in the mouth of a shark or an alligator. I'm afraid to do this, but I think that that fear is very valid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So I, I just need to examine the the validity of why I'm afraid of something or why I'm not interested in something.
0: And Paul, how did you learn to think that way?
1: I think that's that's something that's kind of come about as I, as I've gotten a bit older and just started to to question reason. I think a lot of us make decisions and they can be unconscious decisions, or we just know in our gut that that's a decision. But I guess now at the point that I'm at in my life, I like to figure out, okay, well, why am I making that decision? And that wasn't always important to me, knowing why. And there's still, there's some things in my life where I just know that the decision is right for me to make and I don't know why.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: That's just the way that's, yeah. I mean, sometimes like I want to have that question. I want to be able to figure it out in my mind, but I don't always have the, yeah, I don't always have the answers to those questions.
0: And how do you handle those moments when you don't know the answer to something, when you don't know how things are going to be? I'm asking because dealing with uncertainty can be sometimes really hard for people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that my gut doesn't really lead me astray very often. So if I feel strongly about a decision, but I don't know why, probably just going to make it anyways. And then hopefully I can change my mind later if I need to. But yeah, if if I feel like I know that this is the right answer, but I don't know why, I'm probably just going to go with it.
0: I hear that there is a lot of curiosity and experimentation and adjusting as you go. Now, dealing with uncertainty can be very tricky. And many times we handle our fears of not knowing by coming up with hundreds of backup plans what would your advice be for someone who is starting a project and they don't know how it's going to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, consider the risk and consider the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Right? Like A lot of decisions we make aren't going to ruin us indefinitely or ruin our businesses indefinitely. And I think that that can be kind of freeing. There was it was in the book, The Anecdote* by Oliver Berkman, where he read a study uh, about, I think it was like yelling something every time there was a stop on the subway. And he was really, really scared to do it because he's going to look like a, he's going to look like a weirdo. And, but he's like, okay, I'm not going to die if I do this. This isn't going to ruin me as a journalist if I do this. <laughs> and if you, if you start to think about, well, okay, well, what's the worst that can happen? It can be a little freeing. Yeah. So I I like to, like, I'm not a very risky person. So I do want to be curious and and experimental, as you said, but I don't want to, I don't want to experiment or risk at a huge level. I want to do it at a very small level where it can just be like, let me talk about this subject for one article in my newsletter Mm -hmm. and see how I feel after that. Mm -hmm. Instead of writing a whole book on the subject first and being like, Oh, I guess I shouldn't have done that. Right. So I want to take little, I want to take little tiny risks and experiment in a very small way over and over iteratively until I get to a conclusion as opposed to just making one massive leap and being, I hope this works out because if it doesn't, I'm screwed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful advice. I love the idea of approaching projects at a micro level and seeing how they go. Now, given that our mind is all the time coming up with all types of content, many times when we are starting a project, even though we are experimenting and adjusting as the project unfolds, our mind may come up with thoughts like, am I the right person to do this project? Do I know enough? Do I have the expertise to be working on this project? So how do you handle those thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for for myself, at least, it's do I have information that could be valuable to other people? I don't need to have all of the information to be an expert. And I think this is where a lot of people uh, have misconceptions. I don't need to know everything about a subject because that is impossible. That is an impossible task to ask of other people. I think that that's important because I think there's a, a lot of misconceptions here where an expert doesn't have to know everything because knowing everything about any topic is an impossible task it is absolutely impossible to know everything and every nuance about any subject. It's just not, it's not possible. So where I consider things is, okay, do I know more than somebody else who is not as far along on the journey? And could that information then be valuable to them? And if that's the case, I don't have to know everything. I just have to know a couple things. And if I share those things and they're valuable, then that's, that's a good thing. And I like to start off small. Like I'm not going to like go into my office and just build something for a couple of years and then release it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's too big of a risk. As I've talked about many times in this conversation, that's too big of a risk. I want to test things. I want to test to see if my expertise is valuable. So before I write a book, I'm going to write a bunch of articles on the subject see how people respond before I make a product, I'm going to create a bunch of things like mock-ups or write a sales page. I'll see where it lands. I'll see if it helps people, if people are engaged with it, if it resonates with them. And then if it does, then I'll do a bit more and then a bit more and then a bit more. I won't say, okay, here's an idea I have. I'm going to write a book on it. I'll see it in a year. That would be, that's too much of a risk. That's too big of a project to take on in the beginning. Whereas if you say, okay, I'm going to try a really little thing and see how that works. If it doesn't work, that's fine. I just did one little thing and it didn't work. Didn't take me that much time. And now I can move on to something else. If it does work, then you can say, all right, how can I build on this? Because this was something that people are interested in or people that, or, or something that people found valuable and that sort of thing. So going really, really small and really, really iteratively, I think is really important.
0: Mm -hmm. Again, I love the experimentation and the process-based approach. Sometimes we get stuck in projects, even though we're very open, we're curious, we're experimenting and we're adjusting, we're humans and we struggle letting a project go. When was the last time when you experienced something like that, when you couldn't let go of an idea?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess a year and a half ago, a company of one was doing well and my agent and my publisher said, hey, we should... Let's do another book, mm-hmm. um, and so I pitched an idea that I had, and they said yes, it's actually a really good idea. So I spent probably about three or four weeks doing interviews and research on it, mm-hmm. and I just jumped right. I didn't write any articles. I didn't. I did the exact opposite of what I just explained. So I didn't write a. I didn't write any articles. I didn't share it with my audience. I didn't send a tweet out about it. I was just like, okay, they want a book. I'll write another book. I write books. I can do this and then yeah probably a month and a half into it I realized that this isn't a book <laughs> this is, like this isn't going to the idea that I had was not going to hold true mm-hmm. so I had to abandon it and I had to abandon all of the people that I interviewed all the research I had done all of it because it just wasn't it wasn't going to work because I didn't follow the steps that I had just explained uh, for the previous question. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not immune to that as well. Sometimes my ego gets the best of me and I think, okay, I can just do this. This is what I do. I can do this. And it's not the case.
0: <laughs> Hashtag Paul is human. <laughs> exactly.
1: I think uh, the current product that I've, that I make uh, fathom analytics is doing well. But then I look at the, I think I probably did eight software products before that, that did not do nearly as well. So I tried eight times to make a software product before one worked. Mm -hmm. And in all of those times I thought, okay, this is something that I can do. I tried it. I worked at it a little bit. And I kept building on it. And still I got to a point where I got one little piece done and then it didn't, it no longer worked. And then the whole thing didn't really work out. I mean, that's part of entrepreneurship is thinking that you have a good idea, testing it, seeing that there's people. I did pre-orders for a bunch of them where we generated significant revenue pre-ordering it. And still we, we got it built and it, it just, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work. It wasn't sustainable. So we had to let it go.
0: I think sometimes it's hard to let things go because we are emotionally attached to an idea. Like we care so deeply that our feelings are involved and makes it harder for us to say, I have to just drop this.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be attached to my ideas unless I've tested them Mm
0: -hmm. first
1: and then I feel like I can be a little bit attached to them. (laughs) That's right. Not always good, but it's what happens.
0: Yeah, we're humans, we're humans. Um, I just have one more question. I always appreciate how much integrity you have when running any project you are participating in. Has it been always like that? I don't really know, to be
1: honest. I think a lot of it, though, is that I want to treat people like human beings. I Like humans come first, then business, and profit, then all of the other things. But I think when I do that, I do end up... Being profitable and having a sustainable business and all that. So, but I think that approaching it with the intention of, okay, what can I do to help this human being, mm-hmm. whether they're paying me or not? And to me, that just feels like I don't, maybe that's just how I grew up or something, but I feel like a lot of not wanting to do harm is how I live my life. That's why I don't eat animals, mm-hmm. right? Like there's so many things that that kind of applies to where I want to do, I realize that as a human being living on this planet, I am going to do some harm. Like I'm not perfect, but I want to minimize that as much as possible. So I think that that just kind of makes sense. And it keeps reinforcing itself by when I I just am that way and it helps my business and it reinforces that, oh, I can be this way. I don't have to be a cutthroat business person. I don't have to win at all costs. I don't have to put revenue above people. I can do things the way that I feel is right and it benefits me. And I do well because of it. So it just keeps reinforcing that, okay, if you're just going to try to do good and try to do as little harm as possible, then it's going to pay off. So why not just keep Why not just keep doing that?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to have a cup of tea or coffee with one of the people you admire, whether that person is alive or has passed away, who would that be and why?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I can't think of anybody right now. I think... It's hard for me because people ask me, like, "Oh, who do you look up to or who do you um, admire? I'm sure I admire a lot of people, but I, I try to very specifically not pay attention to anybody individually mm-hmm. because I don't want to get stuck in following their path.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to pick my own path and make my own choices. So I'm very cognizant of, like, oh, I'm paying too much attention to this person. I just have to stop. I mean... I don't know, I'll probably lose Hamilton, F1 racer. Mhm. Big fan of F1. Just because I'm a huge fan of the sport and I'm a huge fan of what he does and what he stands for with his animal activism and his social justice activism. He seems like a cool guy. I mean, having a cup of coffee with him wouldn't be the worst thing in the world.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It has been such a treat to get to know you. Thank you. I can't wait to bother you again with another conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you are feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website plainitsafe. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!